Investors Chronicle. Hello and welcome back to Investors Chronicle's Investing Explained podcast series. Today we'll be tackling the important topic of sustainable investing. Sustainable investing is viewed by many as a financial imperative as well as an ethical one, but it's a difficult space to navigate, not least because sustainable means different things to different people, but also because current reporting quality can be pretty poor. Fortunately, there's a lot of good material out there and plenty of options if you know where to look. To help us, I'm delighted to welcome Amy Lazenby, Managing Director at Close Brothers, where Amy runs many different risk-rated portfolios as well as some of the firm's largest individual mandates, trusts, charities and socially responsible investment portfolios. Amy, thank you for joining me. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. Now, sustainable investing is a huge topic. I think the best place to start is what sustainable investing actually means. Um, As I said, it can be pretty subjective. What does investing sustainably mean to you? I believe it means investing in businesses that don't have a negative impact on people or places and which have a business model that can adapt to changing circumstances and requirements. So a business that's responsible for the future of uh, the business itself and the people who work there. And what are the different approaches you can take for investing sustainably? Well, there are lots of different approaches these days. When I started working in the industry, there was really only one approach, um, which is described as ethical investing, which is purely exclusionary and quite negative. However, with the launch of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals in December 2015, we were given a positive framework for investing in sustainable businesses. And that considered everything from climate action to life on land, life below water, affordable and clean energy, reduced inequalities, um, governance issues, responsible consumption, uh, everything. So there's a very positive framework within which we can invest now. So while the language is still used quite interchangeably, it's perhaps best to consider it under the headings of environmental, social and governance factors and break it down that way. So under environment, you might consider GHG emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, um, and we might look at the Paris-aligned GHG emissions targets and roadmaps. You might look at nature loss, um, water management, and whether water pollution or fresh water availability, waste, which can cover anything from single-use plastics to air pollution and waste disposal, and resource availability, so materials of concern. And then under the S for social, you might want to look at uh, diversity and inclusion um, in the workplace, health and safety. You might want to look at product liability, um, whether it's chemical safety, uh, privacy and data security, uh, stakeholder opportunities um, and the frequency of human rights controversies uh, and such things. And under the G for governance, you might want to look at how the board is constructed, the independence of the board, um, the executive pay, Uh, accounting practices, business ethics, risk management, um, and and the list goes on. (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you. That's a really comprehensive overview of the different areas. But how can investors go about trying to measure them? Where can you start? Are there tools out there to help you understand how good a company is on ES or G measures? There are plenty of tools out there. So you have third-party providers such as um, MSCI and Morningstar, Bloomberg, um, but you can also look at the information that the company itself produces and look at the annual reports, their financial filings, and do your own research. 
There is no one prescribed rule that tells you how to um, interpret all the data. And as you said at the beginning, it is still quite subjective, but there's an awful lot of data out there and gathering as many data points as you can and forming your own opinion is as valid, but it's perhaps only really available for those very big institutions to do that because there's an awful lot of data points. So a lot of people do outsource to a third party provider and then do their own research and meetings with companies uh, on top of that. And so you also mentioned that you can use these data providers. I think for people investing in funds, Morningstar and MSCI are the two um, are the two ones that are freely available. How useful do you find these tools? To what extent do you use them um, versus doing your own research? I think all the providers are useful because they all do a lot of research themselves, so they've got additional data points. Um, but they will use different methodologies so they can come up with different conclusions on the same fund or the same individual equity. It does rely on these third party businesses covering all the underlying stocks within a fund. If you're looking at assessing the sustainability of an individual fund, and that isn't always the case. And similarly, they're not always able to cover all the smaller funds, I guess, due to resource constraints. So there are some limitations, but broadly speaking, MSCI, Morningstar, they provide very valuable data. And I think it's very helpful in the construction of your own ideas of what a sustainable fund might look like. Yeah, great. Thank you. And I think a, a common criticism in general, um, and this is probably why it's it's difficult for, for independent data providers too, is that there's a general lack of common de- definitions for ESG measures. Um, what what metrics do you use to measure companies? It is a minefield at the moment, but there are uh, guidelines that you can follow. For example, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Boards, which is known as the SASB, has specified standards for 77 different industries, depending on which sustainability issues are deemed most material to a particular industry or business. Um, but no method is perfect, and it's quite a subjective topic. Uh, But if you look at ESG metrics, it also helps you understand the non-financial information linked to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, such as the social values. And if these aren't managed properly, they can quickly become financially material. But if you're monitoring and reporting on your own sustainability metrics, you can refer to company disclosures, uh, which I mentioned, such as the uh, financial performance, which are publicly uh, filed every year in the US, 10K reports, sustainability reports, AGM results, and you can engage with company IR departments. And it's a very good place to start because the data is all official and audited. And companies increasingly are extremely keen to share the work that they've done with you. There is, however, a slight bias, therefore, towards some of the bigger companies with better resources at their disposal to uh, apply resource to this area. So I think when you are looking, you have to bear that in mind and realise that a very large business has got the resources to deploy a number of different people to provide a great deal of material, whereas a very small business might be behaving extremely well, but they're focusing on running their business as opposed to communicating with external investors about all the good things they're doing. 
Yeah, that, that's a really important point. And I guess the, the regulations are evolving all the time. It's quite a new industry. Absolutely. The taxonomy is developing, so it should hopefully become an easier landscape for investors to navigate. Um, I'm just going to come back to ESG. We've talked about you know how you can uh, think about them and measure them, but how much, just for you running portfolios, do you give each criteria the same amount of importance? So, no, you don't give the same amount of importance um, to the environmental factors, social factors and government factors to each business because they're not as relevant or as material to each business, and that's really important. So the first thing you have to do is really identify which sustainability issues are most material to a particular industry. And that's why ESG schools tend to be given relative to other businesses in the same sector. So investors have to be very careful because they could see a fund labelled an ESG fund, but it could invest in tobacco stocks because you can have a tobacco stock with a relatively strong ESG score versus another tobacco stock. So unless there are exclusions applied, it might not be what an individual is hoping for. So for example, material sourcing is very relevant to the apparel, accessories and footwear industry, but it's not so relevant for commercial banks where the assessment of good governance factors should have a higher weighting. So companies are assessed within their sectors and it's very important to assign appropriate weightings to different uh, elements of the ES and G, depending on the business you're looking at. That's great. That's a brilliant example of why you shouldn't just take um, objective analysis at face value and do your own research. Um, Climate reporting specifically is complex. And you touched on this earlier, but um, currently firms have to report scope one and scope two emissions, scope one emissions being the greenhouse gas emissions from business activities and scope two emissions being those from the energy they consume. But scope three emissions is voluntary and and these are the emissions related to supply chains, which can often be um, can often be their biggest uh, carbon impact. How do you approach specifically assessing um, the climate impact of a company? I think you've hit it spot on. It's really material for all industries in the context of climate change and the raised to net zero emissions. Um, But it is a challenge at the moment. Like all this data, it's becoming better all the time. But as you highlighted, the scope three emissions, they represent about 65 to 90 percent of all emissions, according to the Carbon Trust. So until we get that data from companies, you know, we're not getting a full and true picture at all. But there are new technologies and systems being developed all the time that can help with data capture. One of them being Climate Trace, which is backed by Al Gore, which uses satellite imagery and other forms of remote sensing, uh, artificial intelligence, etc. And they collect data science and they use data science um, expertise to track human caused greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and soon all corporate boards will have to pay attention because this data is going to be readily available and they're going to have to start reporting on it and uh, do the data gathering themselves. Wow. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see as well how, you know, what people, companies, people thought had a good climate impact and might be completely wrong. Another thing that's got a lot of attention in the press recently is greenwashing. Um, how prevalent do you think greenwashing is among fund managers and how can you how can you spot it? I don't believe it's a significant problem. I think there are definitely people who 
have fundamentally stronger beliefs in what they're doing than others. But greenwashing implies trying to do one thing and hide the truth. Uh, I think it's very important as an investor to do your own research and make sure you understand what you're investing in and not just rely on the label on the tin. Because as we've discussed, sustainability can mean one thing to one person and something else to another. And the language used is still quite interchangeable. So you can't assume that because a fund labels itself sustainable, that it necessarily has exclusions or that the investments in it are aligned with your own moral compass. So I don't like to accuse anyone of greenwashing. Um, I think it's very important still, while this is an industry very much in development in terms of this transition, to understanding what all the language means and how we can use the data to um, create a sort of perfect portfolio that investors are very careful and understand what they're investing in. That's a really good perspective because the fund managers are operating within the environment that they're in and maybe it's because there's a lack of definitions rather than um, greenwashing specifically. As a as a professional investor, you have quite close access to companies. You know, private investors probably can't engage that much um, with companies to, to try and improve their ESG credentials. What what do you do to to encourage companies to improve their ESG? It's all about engagement and support. And there are some companies that are all over it, and some companies that you do speak to them and you think a little bit cynically, perhaps, that they're, they're not doing as much as they could do. Um, but five years ago, perhaps, when I was asking, or maybe four years ago, not that long ago, when I was asking companies and funds about their ESG criteria, most people didn't understand what ESG stood for. Now, you would never find a business or a fund today that doesn't have a slide in their deck addressing these concerns, and everyone has done it forever. So there has been a huge, a huge transition um, in both understanding and the availability of data, and it's moved extremely quickly. So engagement with companies, I think, also comes from through relationships. So sometimes companies come to us and say, what are other businesses in our sector doing? We'd like to do better. Um, sometimes we've been approached by companies uh, who are looking to understand what their investors believe is appropriate in terms of remuneration. And, and I think that's a very important uh, element of you know, successful governance in businesses. We can write engagement letters to companies if we believe they're doing something wrong. And that is a style of impact investing. So you don't have to just in, invest in a company that is having a positive impact. You can have an impact by um, directing your investment manager or investing in a fund that focuses on stakeholder engagement. And typically those funds take very large positions in businesses and get a seat on the board and transition. And so that's not always as easy to do, but I do believe that's a very viable um, and interesting way of impact investing. Um, but there are also some businesses that we invest with that themselves are having um, an impact and affecting change because they are viewed as consultants by other peers in the industry who come and ask them for advice, for example, in the waste management industry. Some of the large consumer names might be speaking to these waste management businesses and saying, 
I want a better environmental footprint. Please, can you advise how we might design the bottles for our drinks or design the packaging for our products so that we create less waste and uh, use better materials? And I think that in itself is also a very interesting element and yeah. evolution. Sorry. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. It's kind of giving you giving you more reach by going to the consultants. Um, what's it, so most of the sustainable investing funds that private investors are going to come across are, are more ESG focused or tilted and, and not specifically impact. What what are the impact um, options available to private investors? I think it really depends on how you want to have an impact. If you want to invest in listed securities, have a positive environmental impact, that's relatively straightforward. And that can be measured by percentage of revenues aligned with the United Nations goals. Um, it can be done in a softer way by looking at the environment in which they're operating, such as solar or wind power generation. If you define impact, however, as affecting change, then you want your manager to engage with businesses and perhaps take controlling stakes. But some people still think of impact investing as investing at the expense of financial returns and acting like a charity supporting a cause of importance. So perhaps that's a third route um, for a private investor. But it's definitely at the more extreme end of investing and there is less availability for it at the current time. What, um, what sustainable investing options are available at Close Brothers? for private investors? We have a sustainable investment fund available for private clients to invest in, and which has a predominantly a focus on ESG criteria. All, in addition, all the analysts, when they're looking at stocks and the analysts covering third-party funds, they have their own ESG research criteria, which they include in the stock because we consider it a risk. So if you know a stock has a poor ESG rating, you can buy it, but you go into it knowing that there is a potential risk because there is data out there dating back to 2016 from the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, that shows that investing in more highly rated companies from an ESG perspective or companies that are improving their ESG rating perform better than the wider market. But I think going forward, when you look at a business, you would don't always have only have to look at the financial metrics you have to consider its ESG rating. So you might buy a company, if you wish, that has a poor ESG rating and is very, very expensive and it may do well, but you go into it knowing those facts, so you pay a price accordingly. But we, my team also runs uh, the socially responsible investment portfolios, which we've got coming up, I believe it's a six or seven year track record. So we were quite early into it and we use the sustainable investment goals as the framework. And we have some exclusions because when we set it up, as I mentioned earlier, the language was still quite new and people didn't really understand ESG. So we kept the word ethical in there. So we do have some negative exclusions, but broadly we focus on the positives because if you use the positive framework of the sustainable development goals, then you're not going to invest in tobacco and alcohol because there's nothing in those goals that suggests that these are uh, important elements to transition society going forward. So we then look at ESG criteria and we look at impact defined by percentage of revenues aligned with the UN goals and we use third party data providers. And then Nirvana would be a company that has high impact and high ESG. But in reality, some companies don't operate in an environment when they are gaining any revenues from 
sort of high impact, but they behave in a very socially responsible way. And so that's captured in the ESG score. So they're also in the available investment universe. It's interesting what, what you said um, near the beginning of your answer, thinking about ESG in terms of risk. And there are lots of studies that have been done saying that ESG is a performance driver, but equally it could be down to where we are in the market cycle. Um, do you think that ESG should be thought of in performance terms or is it something separate as something that will enhance performance or not? I think it should be considered alongside financial metrics. So if you believe a highly rated company at a certain time in the cycle uh, might perform better, um, then it's fine to pay up for that business. Equally, if you want to buy a cheap business um, and you believe that over the long run that might perform better, that is you know, equally understandable. But ESG metrics are going to have the same impact and are going to have to be considered alongside these financial metrics in the future. Strongly rated ESG businesses have performed better historically. But now that every business is being analysed under the same mirror, the difference may be less pronounced going forward. But I still do believe that a business that monitors its environmental footprint, looks after its employees and is well run as measured by a good governance score is likely to perform better than a business that fails on these measures. So, yes, I believe that ESG scores are really essential part of valuing any business. It's almost like there's been a rebranding exercise because stewardship is something that people have always looked at. And these measures, I imagine investors have looked at for a long time, but now ESG is just more, got more marketing around it than before. So that's true. That's, that's, that's how you could could um, prove the, the performance point. But with all the ESG awareness and money flooding into ESG funds, some people worry about um a sustainable investing bubble or an ESG bubble. Is that something that concerns you? No, it isn't. Because you can have a bubble around anything and there may be a bubble in different sectors, but I don't think you can have a sustainability bubble because if a business isn't sustainable, then it's not going to be around in the future. So you don't want to invest in it. You only want to invest in sustainable businesses, however you interpret that use of the word. Um, but you only have to look at the trillions of dollars that are backing the sustainable investment goals and the work uh, and the agreements and the regulation, which followed the COP26 meeting in Glasgow at the end of last year, to see where the money is going. You, know, you don't want to invest in businesses where money is with being withdrawn, the capital is being withdrawn from the growth, future growth of these businesses. You want to invest in businesses which are being supported by financial and regulatory tailwinds by governments globally. And many of these fall under the socially responsible banners. That's a great point. And also with um, slews of regulations coming, you want companies that are ahead of the curve. Absolutely. Do you think you've uh, mapped out quite a rigorous investment process or research process that you have within your responsible investing team? Do you think people should expect to pay more for sustainable or responsible investment services? We don't charge any more for our services. There is an additional layer of work, but I think it's just an important element of what people are necessarily going to require and expect going forward. And you mentioned earlier that um, 
blunt exclusionary is a slightly old-fashioned approach, perhaps. Um, although I'm sure there might be some industries that you wouldn't want to invest in on sustainable measures anyway. But some people think it's better to try and engage and improve companies rather than divest. I think the oil industry um, would be a good example here. What What's your thoughts on engagement versus divesting? I think both have equal merit. Personally, I don't invest in certain industries that I don't think have got a long-term future. The lack of capital expenditure in the oil industry last year, and, and that's one of the reasons why oil may, may rebound this year, not that I want to invest in oil, but it's very short-term. The people that are going to make the money out of investing in oil are the private investors because the publicly listed capital money can't be seen to be supporting businesses like that because it goes against everything. Yeah. And there's even this global banking alliance which stops banks lending to the oil businesses. They're going to the capital and the air from these businesses is going to be withdrawn. So unless they can transition to become the world's biggest renewable energy businesses, which is entirely possible, um, then I don't think they are investable for the long t- for the long term. Although short term, I think they might do very well. Engaging with businesses and affecting change, I think, is very important. Um, but there are some businesses which I just don't feel I want to do that with. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's a huge task for the oil companies to become the leading renewable energy companies, but it looks like it is something that they're trying to do. Um, Well, Amy, that's been really interesting. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, but thank you for your time.